This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hood podcast. And in this episode, I have Johnny Marie. Uh, she has a pretty inspirational story, uh, battling something, a challenge in her life, and is is being quite successful in the hunting world as well. Uh, so there's, I don't want to say much more than that. I'll let uh, her story speak for itself. It's it's really really fast fascinating, and I was in in quite awe as I was listening to that. Someone that knows hunting and has lived hunting her whole life, learned from her her dad, and has just a cool story. So I'm going to leave it at that again. And again, if you wouldn't mind, uh, like, share, follow, whatever in the podcast platform that you listen on. And then also, if you wouldn't mind uh, following in, and uh, uh, on social media. So that's on Instagram and Facebook. So thanks, everybody, and hope you enjoy. Johnny, thanks for coming on the podcast today and talking hunting and some life. Uh, I was introduced to you by Ryan from Hunt AZ. Uh, I've learned a couple of little pieces about you, just some quick messaging back and forth. Uh, I was new to, to following you on Instagram, so I'm sure as I always love scrolling through and seeing seeing cool pictures of, and you learn a few things about people's lives through that, but uh, I'm really glad that I, I met you. I first was asking about, hey, let's do some spot and stock, whatever garbage, and find out there's there's a lot more interesting things about you. Uh, and I think from what I'm about to hear is a bit of an inspiring story, and so I want to share that uh, with the rest of my listeners. And so again, thank you for coming on. And but first, could you could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Um, so thank, thank you very much for having me on. Um, my name's Johnny and I was, um, born and raised in Alaska and, um, have lived up there most of my life and, um, just recently relocated in just the last few years down to Northern Arizona. Um, 
And, um, you know, my background is um, I was raised by uh, in a really outdoorsy family. My father was um, a hunting guide in Alaska. So he was actually a master guide and outfitter in Alaska for over 40 years and owned a hunting lodge out on the Alaska Peninsula when I was young. And um, in addition to that, in the summers, we were also commercial fishermen. So we ran a commercial fishing camp out of Kenai, Alaska. So just really um, outdoorsy life. My father was a bush pilot. So um, got to fly all over Alaska, land on glaciers, do all kinds of cool things. And, um, and, um, and be inspired by his amazing um, hunting legacy. Um, you know, he took like a, a world slam of sheep in his lifetime and, and all kinds of cool things. So um, really got uh, inspired by him in the hunting world as well. And um, he passed away um, quite a few years ago. So um, I didn't really get to do a lot of, um, big game hunting with him. I got to do a lot of small game hunting with him, um, but kind of transitioned into big game hunting, you know, for myself in the last, you know, 10 to 12 years, um, which was after my father had fallen ill and wasn't able to hunt anymore. Um, and um, my background is all bow hunting. So um, this is probably <laughs> very different than most people. Cause I think most people start with a gun and right. then they move into bow hunting. Um, that's not my background at all. I just started bow hunting and never looked back. And so my whole hunting career has really been, you know, aside from like birds and, and some bird hunting and stuff, um, has really been, um, all bow hunting. Why, why is that? Was that, what influence was it that that's where you said, this is where I'm starting? I don't know. I'm, my dad did both. So my dad um, bow hunted a ton with a recurve when he was young. And I did shoot recurve with him, you know, as a kid a lot. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And we just shot, you know, birds and squirrels and, and things like that. And then he went on to hunt big game with his bow. And then um, eventually, as he got older, he transitioned to rifle. And I just I, I was always just nervous around guns. I don't know why I just was never really comfortable around guns. I just felt way more comfortable um, with the peacefulness of a bow. And so um, when I got ready to, to hunt big game, it just, I don't know, it's just a natural <laughs> kind yeah. of progression um, to, to just um, bow hunt. I have a, a girlfriend that probably a lot of people that are into bow hunting know um, that is also from Alaska. Her name's Stacy Frost. And her father's Jack Frost, which a lot of people know him because he was the, you know, the first person to take a grand slam of sheep with his bow. And um, she's a really amazing um, bow hunter, too. And she's exactly the same as me, which is interesting because her father and my father were great friends and hunted a lot together. But she's she also never hunted with a gun and only and only has hunted with a bow and has um, you know, almost finished her, her slam, um, with that. And, um, so I don't know, I think, I think there's a few people out there like that, but I don't think it's very common. <laughs> right. No kidding. No, that I, I had just learned a little bit more about Cam Haynes and he has a very similar route. I think he had shot like two or three deer with a gun when he was a kid and hasn't touched a gun since. 
I mean, that's. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I didn't know that, but, uh, the more I heard a, a little bit of his story, I was like, I kind of like that guy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that style. But I think that is pretty relatable with a lot of new hunters that are, are coming into the, the world, uh, now that I, I do notice that a lot of they, there is a, there is a unease around some firearms. Uh, I do, I do see that a lot, um, in kind of my, my circles. So I, I think that's a real, very relatable thing. Where, where in Alaska did you grow up? So I, um, mainly in Anchorage, you know, which is the biggest city, sure. you know, I went to, to school there and, and our, our family home was there, but then every single summer since I was born, um, uh, we were out on the Kenai, um, on our, um, set net site for commercial fishing. So every summer I was gone and I was down there, um, just, um, living really rustically in a warehouse there and working, you know, outdoors on the beach and on the ocean, uh, running tractors and, and boats and things, um, every summer there. And then our, my dad's hunting lodge was out on the Alaska peninsula, which was, which you can't drive to. It's a long, long ways away from, from Anchorage. And so I actually spent very little time out there, um, because he owned it during my school years. And so, um, you know, you weren't going to jump in a bush plane and, and fly 10 hours down to the Alaska Peninsula for a weekend or something. And mm-hmm. so um, I didn't really get to spend much time out at um, at his lodge where he was a lot of the time. I hope you know how fortunate of a life that you have had as like as a kid there i don't uh, yeah. how most kids need to join boy scouts girl scouts to get like a eighth of what that is <laughs> to to go get some outdoor experience or um to learn some woodsmanship skills and things like that well forget that you firsthand experience <laughs> there's yeah, le- yeah, learning learning that wonderful. life <laughs> yeah no i yeah. i uh I, I think about that just for my boys like I did the whole Boy Scout stuff and I mean the Boy Scouts are a different story nowadays. But I think if if I can just live a little bit of that life and have that style then then that that uh those skills and things are if I'm making a point to pass those on and uh it kinda sounds like what your your dad did, uh it moved on. I mean you you, you have those skills and, and learned a lot just by, by living it. So that's really really neat. I think that's that's a good story. Yeah. Um, so, and then what, uh, I mean that we've started your hunting story, um, just started with, with archery, but, but, uh, did that start at like age 12, younger, younger or, or older or what, what's your, what's your hunting story? Yeah, I was little, um, when I was shooting recurve with my dad, I was young, so I don't know, maybe, um, I, I'm not sure what age I started shooting that. We had these cute little recurves, maybe like six or seven years old. And then, you know, up until, I don't know, until I thought I was too cool, maybe for that kind of thing when I was like, you know, a preteen or whatever, like 13 and, um, and then didn't really do it anymore, you know, for, for a while, for a gap of time there. Um, you know, I shot a, a 22 a little bit, you know, with my dad and, um, as far as like, um, shooting ptarmigan, um, and, you know, grouse and stuff like that. Um, but, but nothing major. And then, and then really didn't get back into it until, you know, after I was out of college, after I was older, kind of took this big, um, gap of time where I was doing other, lots of other outdoorsy things, but not, not hunting big game. And then, um, 
I think, you know, the, the catalyst really to get back into that was, you know, meeting my husband and dating him. He's a big um, bow hunter. He came from Pennsylvania and had moved to Alaska to hunt bigger game. He was tired of hunting deer and he wanted to hunt other things basically. And, um, and he was really, he, he gun hunted too, but he just really was obsessed with bow hunting. And so we were, you know, dating and bow hunting together and stuff. And we ended up deciding, um, he had this dream of opening an archery store in Alaska and I was game. And so, um, we actually just opened one from the ground up and it became a, a really big, um, store you know we it, it was like a 5,400 square foot facility we had a large indoor archery range shooting lanes um and a lesson area and a techno hunt and a full pro shop and you know he and I worked on bows and sold bows out of there and I ran a homeschool program for um, kids for the NASP uh, National Archery in the Schools program so I ran a NASP program there um, for homeschool kids so they could come in and get their PE credits um I would teach, you know, archery classes to them. Okay. And so we would do that in the mornings before we opened the store. And then at nights after we closed the store, we would run leagues. Um, I ran two different kids leagues and then we ran adult leagues. So we were just super busy with that. Um, and we ran, yeah, it was crazy <laughs> um, and fun and scary and all of those things, you know, owning your own business. When we started it, we were still working our side businesses or our side jobs because we were, scared about opening our own place and then eventually you know left those jobs and just ran the archery store full-time and so we did that for seven years um until i got um until i got blindsided and got diagnosed um with this rare disease and it just totally changed everything so i i think those those uh archery shops that do so much more than come in and work on your bow those are the ones that seem to be so successful or people get drawn back to them. It's kind of like walking into a, a Shields sports sporting goods store or any other sporting goods store. The ones that have like the, the Ferris wheel in it and the little gun things to yeah. shoot that you keep people in the store longer. So it's a, that was a good business model to, to have all of those pieces to bring people in for different reasons other than, yeah. than in August saying, I need a new string now <laughs> I got to hunt soon. Uh, but it's, uh, I always appreciate those stores and, and or the shops and the ones that I'm attracted to have exactly that. They do 4-H archery or um, they've got uh, um, in Colorado the the uh, Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge in Denver there at uh, No Limits Archery. Just the coolest like archery competition kind of thing. Uh, lots of things like that that really bring people in. So so yeah, that that's that was, that was successful. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was really important to us to build a, a community um, there. And, and we really did build this, you know, tight knit community of people that just enjoyed meeting up on our range and making connections and, you know, um, having something for kids to do with their families. I mean, I can't even tell you how many um, parents came in and said, you know, how the the lessons or the classes or the family shoots or all the things we would do, how it had brought their family together and um, that, that community uh, building a community and, and a special place for people to come was, was a huge part of that for us. And, and, and one of the things that gave us joy in, in 
working insane hours or two jobs or whatever was um, that we that we felt like we were really making a positive impact on the community. There's something about archery that just does that. Yeah. If, if people love just flinging arrows. And yeah. <laughs> if, if there was more people just flinging arrows, <laughs> there would probably be less stress and less yeah. <laughs> men- mental health issues in our nation. I guarantee you. there's something about shoot- shooting something and it's a little less or it's a little more doable on a daily basis when it's a stick and a string instead of having to try and find a find a gun range or whatever. Right, a lot yeah. of places lie to, to do it at home. pulling your ammo back out of the target and reusing it so it's yeah, a little cheaper. So. Yeah, yeah. Or even, yeah. I've even considered setting up something in my basement, you know, for, for yeah. doing it. You don't have to shoot 20 yards all the time as long as you're shooting an arrow to, that is safe and you, you've got enough distance there that it's not like straight out of your bow, but working yeah. on your form and everything, you can do that in like just about any space. So, yeah. But for sure. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, what happened to the archery? Archery. Um... So they're still going strong. So when, um, when I um, found out, you know, when I got diagnosed with this disease, um, it just hit me, hit us out of nowhere, um, and um, and I don't, know, I don't know if you want me to start into that or not, but um, it just, um, they just didn't give me, they didn't give me very long. And so, um, they just said, you know, you've got about two years. I was just totally devastated. And, um, we just, you know, we were working at that point, we were running the shop full time. We were working seven days a week. We were working 14 hour days, most days, you know, because I would run the, the NAS program before we opened, then we would run a full day of the store and the range being open. So eight, you know, eight, 10 hours. And then after we closed, we would run leagues. And so we were there. And then of course, all the other stuff, you know, the ordering, the books, the, the everything, you business. know, uh, stuff, <laughs> yeah, all, all the business stuff, the yeah, employee stuff. Right. So, um, I, it was, it was easily 14 hour days, um, seven days a week. And I was just, so exhausted and then with the everything the disease was doing to me so quickly um we we decided to sell and um make bucket lists and and knock them out we just thought if we only have two years left together as a couple um we are gonna go do some amazing things together and not be working you know 24 7 and so we um so we, you know, sold the store to one of our customers, uh, who's awesome, who is still running it just, you know, just as we did with all of the, the, you know, kids programs and leagues and, and all of those things. So, um, so it's still an important part of the community there. And, um, and then we, um, you know, and then we kind of, um, I started after, once I got over the initial shock, um, I got my, my stubborn resilience back and I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not accepting this. And so I just Mm -hmm. started researching a ton and I found the number one specialist in the world on my disease was at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I started flying down to see him and he just totally, um, was just fabulous. And I just realized that, you know, I can do this, I can overcome this or, not overcome because it's not, it's not curable, but I can, I can extend this out. And so I just, we decided if I'm going to get great medical care and, and have the best chance, I needed to move down here to Arizona where I could be, 
in proximity to have that. And so we just made an insane, crazy, <laughs> an insane, crazy move and, and sold yeah. the business, sold our house, sold our property and, and, and moved down here <laughs> wow. where we knew where we yeah just started over. <laughs> yeah. What a test, a test of a lot of, a lot of things to, um, on you as a family, which had already been tested. So, uh, but the, um, 26 big game species that you've taken with a bow. Yeah. Did that really start with that bucket list? Or no, I mean, I was it, already, I, you had already I killed already, some, I'm sure. I had, yeah. So I had, um, black, I mean, I would say bears were the, are the thing that I've hunted mo- more than anything else. Um, just obviously growing up in Alaska, you're just, you have more opportunity to hunt bears. So I'd hunted black bears. Um, I, I took a brown bear with my bow. Um, so that's been. And sixth woman in, in the world to take a bear with a bow. Yes. Yeah. So sick. uh, Yeah. I was the sixth woman ever on record in history to take a brown bear with the bow. So I didn't know that when I, I didn't know that when I was hunting the brown bear, um, cause that might've, that information might've been a little intimidating to me. I had no clue. I, it didn't even occur to me, honestly. And then really? after I had taken the bear, which actually turned out to be a Pope and young, um, brown bear, oh, wow. which was really, um, really cool too. And so I think that's also how kind of I got connected with Pope and young to be a writer for them. But anyways, I, I, after I took that, um, that brown bear, um, then I, that's when I found out later Then they said, Hey, did you know, by the way, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I had no, I it never occurred to me. So, so huh. bears, yeah. Um, you know, black bear, brown bear. Um, and those like that brown bear I took in, gosh, it was a long time ago. It was like, um, I think that was 2012, I believe that I took that. So it's been 10 years, 10 years ago when I did that. And that was, you know, well before I was, um, diagnosed. So, and um moose you know things that you would expect someone to to hunt in alaska so moose hunting and kind of a here's a funny thing about me also you know i said i started with a bow and never gun hunted that's different than most people and also most people start with deer i think you know and whether it's gun or bow and most people would say probably the animal they've hunted the most is deer and that's just not the case for me because you know in alaska the only place to really to hunt deer would be like, you know, Kodiak, Raspberry Island, you know, down in that area, um, you know, for Sitka deer. And that's not drivable from where I lived to get there. And it's a pretty expensive and long flight. And um, so I never deer hunted. And I didn't hunt deer until just in the last couple of years. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, so in Arizona, like, you're going to have the opportunity there for sure. Yeah. So like, it's, um, you know, I, I, I here, I, I took a brown bear with my bow before I took a deer and I took like, I flew to Africa and I took, you know, an ostrich and <laughs> a zebra and a kudu. And then I, you know, I went to Florida and I did a spot and stock alligator hunt on land, which was insane. And like all these things before I ever hunted deer. <laughs> so tell me this, like I always tell people that are starting to hunt like that shooting a turkey is one of like the most awkward, weird things to do with a bow just because of their body shape is the ostrich that of Africa one of those just yes <laughs> it, I, I I can just see that being you don't have that front leg to use as a reference you've got this odd shaped body who knows where and the heck so any big. lungs yeah. are 
it's so big and fluffy and, and you're, you're just trying, you know, to hit this one pinpoint and mm-hmm. yeah, they're so big and they're mean. I don't know. You know, people don't know they those things suckers are really mean. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was, I don't know why ostrich was on my bucket list, but that was one of the things when I made my bucket list, I'm like, I want to take a zebra and ostrich with my bow. So I just went over there and did it. And, um, I actually have a video, which I have never posted, but I, I should, it's really <laughs> amusing, but I shot the ostrich, um, and I shot him right in the heart fortunate you know it was a great shot and he did this sort of hilarious like drunken stagger like so you know someone that's staggering all over the place if they're too wasted or whatever he did that back and forth and back and forth and he stretched his wings out and then he flopped backwards onto his back and was like flipping his wings i mean it's it and the the guy turned said he turned his head and looked over at me and he said my whole jaw was hanging open and i was just staring (laughs) at him with my mouth open because i couldn't believe what i was watching Uh, oh my gosh (laughs) and we actually had to set the camera up which i don't normally videotape my hunts but we had set the camera up you know and just pointed it in that direction just in case we caught something and it this literally happened like right in the camera view the whole time that's awesome it's really funny (laughs) so i know growing up with bears you you have a different perspective than someone from the lower 48 here that is just horrified like myself (laughs) i that is i uh oh to, as of today, this is be the anniversary of my big anniversary of getting my teacher of the year back in 2016, I think it was, oh, that's awesome. um, <laughs> when I was teaching high school science. And I took that money, it was a thousand bucks she got, and I went and bought my, my Alaska gun. I went and bought a 44 meg, like a PD light Smith and Wesson thing. And I was like, that's my, that's my bear gun. Uh, still haven't gone to Alaska, but that, that's just been my plan of like, okay, I, I got to have a gun. And it's like, they, they, there's something about those bears. I can't e- even watch it on TV without my heart pumping and just thinking about, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I don't know if I could do that. What is What were your thoughts in that of having, and how, and I guess tell me how far that bear was from you. I'm sure you've had bears close, but how far that bear was and uh, kind of what your thoughts thought process was or fear level on the brown bear yeah yeah so he was uh it was about um so i was um up in a tree and um it was about 16 yards in front of us and um and could have i mean could have gotten up the tree and to us in two seconds we weren't that high up but um it the thing about um, bears. And I mean, everybody's experience is different, but this bear knew we were there and didn't care and, Uh. and wanted us to leave. And so it was popping. It's, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but they pop their jaw um, and they they snap their teeth together. And when you're in the woods and it's dead silent, that is the craziest noise. So it, it was going pop, 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 pop. And then it would pound the ground with its front two feet so it would raise up and boom raise up boom and so it pound 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 pop 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 and then it would huff so every time it hit the ground it would like and it's telling you you know get the hell out of here basically and so it's pacing back and forth it would look up at us which is 
very intimidating when it's staring at you and you're thinking, oh, I know you can, I know you can clear this in two seconds, you know. And a pope and, so, and young bear, um, not just a little but, one, but a giant one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And um, so that that is intimidating, and yeah, it's going back and forth, and then um, it would actually um, push on trees, so it would get back in the brush a little bit, and then it would grab, um, you know, like saplings, and um, it would rock them back and forth with its paws so it would push them so you would see the tree going you know it's like um i don't know it's like what you imagine a gorilla would do or something you know like taking this tree and shaking it around all intimidation stuff basically and um my friend that was with me said uh, you know, he's trying to intimidate you, and I'm like, it's working. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's, that is intimidating. No kidding. <laughs> you know? I, I fall apart in front of animals. I probably would just crap my <laughs> I pants. Was really, I don't know. <laughs> honestly, the, when I look back at it, I don't know, maybe just growing up around bears and stuff, but I was really calm. Like, I never got the mm. shakes. I was just very calm about the whole thing. I was very concerned about the fact that I wanted to make an absolutely – perfect shot because I knew from growing up with my dad being a hunting guide that I don't want to, I don't want to wound a bear and have to have someone go into the woods to find this bear that's wounded or me to go into the woods and try to find this bear that's wounded because that's when you get into some really crazy situations. And I know those stories because I grew up listening to them from my dad all the time. And I know that bears are very, can be very vindictive, you know, they, um, and, and I have, we had one of our hunting guides that worked at the lodge that got chased around, um, this older patch by a wounded bear, um, that was actually running behind him. And he actually had his camera across his back and it actually swiped at him and, and ripped the camera off his back and then stepped on it and broke it. He has a picture of the broken camera with the oh paw print over it and chased him around this bush, you know, like a cat chasing a mouse. And so I, I had all those stories in my head and I was just really focused telling myself, you know, don't screw this up. Like this, this has to be perfect. So I just waited a long time and let him move all around a lot before I, before I shot. And um, it was a quartering away um, shot, which is my favorite, and um, if possible, and so it ended up being um, a double lung shot, and it actually, amazingly, to the credit of my broadhead and my arrow, um, you know, because I'm lit, I'm pretty little. I'm only five foot three. I don't have a long draw. I only have a twenty five inch draw. I'm not pulling a ton of weight like a guy would be. Um, the arrow went all the way through uh, and came out the other side and came through the shoulder bone. And actually broke huh. the shoulder bone, came coming out, oh, wow. and um, and double lung, and that the that bear around twenty yards piled up, and then the crazy oh gosh, I forgot to say when I when that arrow went through, he bucked like a bronco, like he hit the ground and went straight up in the air, like his body went into like a U, straight up, and let out the most horrifying roar, like this just long. And I, it was that part was like deafening in the forest. Like I could, I could hear that roar for days afterwards. Oh, like wow. we're sleeping in our tent, and I could just hear the roar, hear the roar. But just this incredibly loud roar, and then ran away from us twenty yards and piled up. Well, I grabbed another arrow 
and loaded it because I'm thinking there's no way that one arrow is going to kill this brown bear. And I loaded another arrow and um, you could hear the bear, go, you know, doing like, <laughs> like the breathing. And then you hear this really long one, like, <sighs> and then nothing. And that was like the end. But I, in my mind, I'm still thinking I'm going to have to shoot another arrow. And I'm thinking it's coming back for us. Like it's pissed, you know? So I'm loading another arrow and my friend kind of laughs and grabs my hand and goes, what are you doing? And I said, he's pissed. I'm loading an arrow. <laughs> and he goes, listen, listen. And then he like stopped me and grabbed my hand and I'm listening and there's no sound. And he goes, it's over. And I'm like, <laughs> that's when it hit me. And then I started shaking and he goes, now you start shaking. <laughs> but it was like at that moment oh I realized holy crap. <laughs> and so then when we got, we didn't even wait like 10 minutes. He's like, we don't need to wait. It's, it's over. So we climbed down we go over there. And when I walked up to the bear and you, then you see the size and you sort of realize the enormity of what you've just done. Then I'm like totally shaking, like super bad. And they were, he's just laughing at me. Like, like now you're nervous. Like, but <laughs> I, went, I went over and grabbed the ears and tried to pick the head up and I couldn't even lift the head up on my own. And then you just sort of realize like, Oh my gosh, like this is insane. You know what you just so, said. Wow. Yeah. So it didn't really hit me till then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know people will wonder what was your, you said to the credit of your arrow and your, your broadhead, what was it? Oh yeah. So, um, I shot an Easton access arrow and a QAD Exodus broadhead, um, which is my very, very favorite, um, broadhead on the market. And that, that thing came through the shoulder bone on that brown bear and the blade wasn't even chipped totally intact and broke that shoulder bone. And, and I was, um, shooting like, I, I think I was at 54 pounds. Wow. So, um, <laughs> granted incredible. I was close, you know, yeah, granted yeah. I was only at like 16 yards, but, but, um, even still, I just was really amazed with that. And, um, yeah, it just went all the way through and was it, um, was it the plan to, to shoot that close? Cause I don't, I don't no, know, you know, but I've, I've heard that you're supposed truth, to shoot them a little further. I wasn't hunting brown bear. I was hunting black bear. So we were mm. actually, I was hunting black bear and um, we were in an area that's called a predator control area. So um, we were, we had, you can't get there by, there's no roads. Um, we've got there by bush plane. It was like maybe a 45 minute um, bush plane ride out um, from Anchorage. And, and we were camping out there for the week. And um, I had gotten, you know, I had my black bear tags, but I had gotten a brown bear tag. Of course, I, w I'm a, I was a resident, so it's not ex not that expensive to get a brown bear tag. And I knew there were a lot of brown bears in the area. And so I got one. Literally, it was like a just-in-case backup thing, like just-in-case we see one. But the, I wasn't expecting to in any way. I just had it with me. But the area is called a predator control area because there, in that specific um, unit, um, the bears were killing all the moose calves. So like in that season, um, there was a guy that was living out, um, staying out in that area. And he told me that he had counted 21 moose calves that had been born in that area. And every single one of them had been killed that he had seen. 
by bears. And they just had an overpopulation of both black and brown bears in that area. And so they call it a predator control unit. And so, um, you know, they want people to go out and hunt in those areas to bring back the balance between the bears and the, um, and the moose. And so, and, and there was a, a calf killed while we were there um, one night um, we were sitting around the campfire and um, across the lake from us, you could hear um, a bear kill a moose calf. And it was, you know, it was crying like a child. Oh it was like gosh. screaming, screaming, and it was echoing across the lake. And it's like midnight and, you know, there's not a drop of noise anywhere else. So it was deafening and you couldn't get away from it. There was nowhere to go to get away from the noise. It was horrific. Probably calling and, in every predator around. It, yeah, it was so it was so scary, and we all just had chills, and it made you sick at your stomach. And then you thought, "This is why I'm out here. This is why I'm out here doing predator control." This is exactly so. It, it kind of reinforced that whole idea um, that was early in the trip when we heard that. So, jeez. Um, okay, so let's take a quick break. I do want to come back and talk more about. Uh, this big story that we have here. So let's just take a quick break. Okay. All right, Johnny. Uh, the thing that brought you back down, uh, or not back down, brought you to the lower 48. You were, you're always in Alaska, but, uh, tell us about this disease. If you don't mind, if we need to bring some awareness to it or just, um, and, and then I'd like to talk about just kind of how you're, I mean, you said you were given two years. It's 2022. <laughs> That's yeah. six years. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about, about what this, what this is. Yeah. So, um, so the over, the overlying disease is called systemic sclerosis and, um, it basically attacks a lot of your internal organs. So, um, your heart, lungs, esophagus, circulation, kidneys, liver, um, et cetera. It, um, so it, that's, it's, it really, um, damages everything internally. And, um, when I first got diagnosed with it, um, it, like I said, it, it just really, it felt like it really came out of the blue. It came on very quickly. And, um, they uh, said probably genetically I'd, I'd had it all my life, but it had never, um, come up. So, you know, um, and I it had never come up on a blood test. I'd never had any symptoms for it. And then, um, my body just got run down or some kind of catalyst happened that all of a sudden the disease just sprung up. And so, um, it came, it, it felt like it came on extremely rapidly and, um, there was no one, it's a rare disease and there was very, very few options for me to get treatment in Alaska because, no one treated it. No one had had treated it. And so there was one doctor that I could go to there. And, um, when I saw, when I saw him, he told me he, I was the fastest progressing case that he'd ever seen in his life. And that, um, and that's when he told me that he said that I had about two years. And if I survived the two years that I would be on an oxygen tank in a hospital bed, not, not living my life basically anymore if, if I was to survive. Um, and so I, oh when someone like that, you know, the crazy thing about that. So we owned the archery store and we were doing the sportsman's show, which is the big once a year outdoor show there. And, um, I had already set up the booth and everything for it and I was going to be running it. And my husband, Dave was back at the store running our archery store and we had an employee filling in for me. So I thought, 
I thought I'm going to go to this appointment. They're going to say such and such is wrong with you. Pop this pill, whatever. And then I'm going to go over to the show and and run the show because the show was starting in a couple hours and I already had the booth already. It was just a quickie appointment. And honestly, I didn't, I never thought that they were going to say that. So he tells me this and it, it's like the whole room went blurry. Like the whole room was like spinning and blurry. And I could hear that he was talking, but I couldn't really even hear what he was saying anymore. Like, it was like, wah, wah, wah. like after, after he said those words, it like everything was spinning. And then I remember him actually reaching out and grabbing my shoulder and saying, are you listening to me? This is serious. Are you listening to me? And kind of like shook me out of it. But like, you're just, hmm. your mind is not prepared for that kind of information. I was so devastated. And I went out to my car bawling hysterically. And I thought, do I call my husband at the store? He's got to run the store for the next eight hours. Like with that information, I can't even call him right now and tell him because how is he going to help customers for the next eight hours? Like I can't even say anything. And I thought I got to go over to the sportsman's show and talk to people about archery with this information. I couldn't. So I called my best friend who's a hairdresser and, and was like hysterical bawling and told her, and she drove out to the sportsman's show and sat in the booth with me. And for the eight hours and talked to people about archery where, while I did my best to just not cry and, and sort of just sit there mute. Basically she was amazing, but you know, you just aren't prepared for that kind of impact in your life. And so, um, you know, we, from that point, um, we just, you know, that's when, like I said, we just decided, we once we got over the initial shock and we decided okay we we are going to sell the archery store and we're just going to do some amazing things with our lives and you know at the time also my father was still alive and he was very sick and um you know that was a lot an enormous amount of stress as well because he was, my mom was caring for him at home and um i started you know flying down to the to, to the Mayo clinic um which took me like 6 months to get in to even be seen there and I I finally get down there and they do a bunch of tests and they do some surgeries and stuff and the doctor there tells me you know yes that information was correct 10 or 15 years ago but we've made a lot of progress on this disease and your doctor in Alaska is wrong we can extend your life he's like you're not going to live as long as most people and you are going to constantly fight this every day of your life but you can you can do a lot more than he made you think so that was just so refreshing and it took such a burden off me to have that expiration that was ticking away in my mind lifted off me and um and that really it it made me believe okay I can do this and then I came home from that appointment and I had been home I think 3 or 4 days and my father was hospitalized and he um passed a few days later um, I stayed in the hospital with him all three days once I never left the room once he was mm. hospitalized. And, um, and then I was just every, I mean, the, my whole world was just ripped out from under me at that point. And I, and that's when we said, okay, so we sold the, sold the business completely and sold everything and said, we're moving now. My father passed and, um, my mom moved with us down here and we, we just relocated and, since I got down here, I've become such an advocate for myself. I've seen a ton of different kinds of doctors. You know, the disease is damaging my liver, like, horrifically right now. It's really going after my liver. I've lost 28% of my lung capacity. 50% of my esophagus is paralyzed permanently and and has no motility at all. I have extreme 
um, circulation issues that are very severe that really affect me for hunting. Um, of course, my lung capacity affects me for hunting. Sure. Um, you know, all all kinds of it's doing all kinds of of things that are it's very very frustrating for someone that loves the outdoors and loves to hunt to um, have all those things happen has been hard. But I'm a really really positive, upbeat person. I believe in the power of prayer strongly. God has blessed me. Like just the fact that, like you said, it's, it's been, you know, this is my sixth year and I'm, while I do fight it every day and it definitely is getting worse. I still continue to go out and do things that I love and I hunt harder than, than some people, (laughs) I think, you know, I'm out doing spot and stock all the time. I'm, I'm, I really, really push myself and I don't allow myself to have a pity party and sit on the couch and feel bad for what was me, what happened. I'm more of like the fighter mentality. So I'm constantly studying, you know, holistic things. I work with a, um, uh, a holistic doctor as well. I'm always going the holistic route if I can. Um, I eat a crazy, you know, specific crazy diet that most people would never be able to follow um, because sure. it helps me. Like just all these things. Like I will do anything to to overcome it. And and I hope I don't know. I I always try to sh- be open about it and share this st- my story and and information about it because I feel like sometimes people, you know, and I did it too. So sometimes when a doctor tells you something, you take it so hard and, and you just focus on that. And then you just say, well, they're the expert and that's how it's going to be. And then, you know, you're on the couch thinking you can't do anything. And, and I, I went through that phase too, but, but that's not the case. They just, modern medicine does not take into account the power of prayer, the drive of the person, you know, all these things. And so you can push past that and you you determine what's going to happen and you can fight. And there's so many things that you can do. And so I always try to reach out to people and say, even if it's something small, you can get out and still enjoy the outdoors. And and it's so positive and healing for you as well. So you get to enjoy the outdoors and it also gives back to you. And um, I just think it's so important to keep that really positive attitude. And I, I, think that that has been key in me doing so well. I'm in a support group with a group of people that have this disease from around the world. There's about 12,000 people in the group and 90% of the people talk about, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I'm in so much pain. You know, I'm on the couch and, and I'm thinking, yeah, me too, but I still get up and do stuff. And I feel so much better because I do. And so um, I just think that's really important just to, to keep that motivation, that positive outlook. That last piece there, I think, is the biggest, biggest thing. I mean, anyone, whether you got a rare disease or not, you have an excuse, an excuse for not doing something. And that's, it's a rare disease in your case, but it's someone who's starting to get a dad bod on the other other hand or he is yeah. <laughs> uh, to light the mood there but um or or it's <laughs> or it's just like a bad knee or something like that but you have the extreme case there of that you're still able to get up every day i'm sure you have um, incredibly tough days and you're you're i'm so happy that you shared that your faith is a piece that has has uh Continue, giving you the strength to do that uh, and i'm 
firmly believe you wouldn't have the strength to do that if you didn't have that faith. But what what are also some of those those motives to that you that run through your head every day to say get up off the couch, get out out of bed and do this? What is what is that that's going through your head? I just I always remind myself no matter how bad you got it, somebody has it worse. No, no matter what, no matter how bad things are for you, someone has it worse than you. And I feel like I've been really blessed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I have been on hunting trips where I, uh, my disease has a mind of its own. I, I'm throwing up all night long in the bathroom. I'm in horrific pain. And then when it's time to hunt, I get up and I go because I think there's someone who doesn't get this opportunity to do this. So, you know, so you get out there. I just tell myself, you get out there and you, you make it happen. And I, like I said, I pray a lot and God is awesome and good and, 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 and helps me a lot. Um, so, so that's definitely a big part of it, but I just, I just don't allow myself because once you get your mind controls your body. So once you get in that mindset of, of your, of, you know, I can't, or the disease won't let me. And I, it's not that I don't have bad days. I mean, I, there are, there are days where, you know, I have a, a half hour pity party because something's going on. I just got horrible news about my liver condition or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. And then I just say, you know, suck it up. Like <laughs> no pity party. Yeah. Like I just don't let myself, you know, I'm like, okay, you had your cry. You're done. You pull it together and you, you move forward. And I just push myself, I guess. And, you know, sometimes I, maybe that's bad. I've been on, I know I was on a bear hunt in Idaho and I was really pushing myself and, you know, my circulation is really bad. So um, I get like, uh, they call it Renaud's in your hands and my feet and my face and uh, where my circulation shuts off. My hands turn white like a dead person's and it's painful, like super painful, my feet. And um, I haven't had to have any of my fingers amputated, but that's very common for that part of the disease where, um, you know, because you're constantly losing circulation in your limbs, um, the tissue dies. And so I've lost a lot of feeling in the sides of my face and my, some of my toes and my fingers and stuff. And, um, blood vessels will burst in my hands and stuff. And that was happening. I was on the spare hunt and blood vessels were bursting in my hands and it was an awful situation. And I just pushed it too far and I never got feeling back like in this one finger, you know, from that, from that one incident. And so sometimes I do push myself too far with it. So I've tried to be better about, saying, okay, these are certain limitations, but also figuring out ways around it and figuring out ways that I can still make things work. I mean, I carry things on my path. You know, I'm constantly carrying not just inhalers and steroids and breathing meds, but, you know, I'll have 10 to 20 hand warmers in my pack at any time or I'll have them activated and stuffed in my pockets, in my bra, like all over. I have heated vests. I have, you know, I have heated um, inserts for my shoes, comes with my circulation, so always shutting down. You know, I I have to carry a lot of maybe things with me to hunt to just, and that could be on like a 50 degree day. Like, (laughs) so like, it's it's not like just when it's cold, like my circulation shuts down under 50 degrees sometimes. So like um, there's things that, that maybe, you know, some people don't have to worry about when they're, they're hunting or whatever. But, um, but I've, I've, I'm constantly, you know, brainstorming and thinking of, of ways to get around the disease and just to keep going. And I think that me keeping going, you know, like I said, I think it keeps it at bay somewhat. So yeah. 
What I hear <laughs> from, you know, I, I don't even want to say who, but you hear the, uh, I just, I don't have the strength. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do that from your loved ones. And they say they just don't have the strength. How, how are you able to, to have the strength? I know the similar questions before, but what, what advice can you give to people that just absolutely have convinced themselves that they don't have the strength to do it? I would just say baby steps, you know, just, just, um, if, if, if something seems overwhelming, then, then, just baby steps. Like there's a, there's um, a guy that follows me on Instagram and I'm, I'm always trying to be really open about my disease um, on social media and, and make myself vulnerable or, or um, when I write magazine articles or whatever, I try to be open to, to try to help people that, but there was a guy on there and he wrote me and he said, um, I was, was an outdoorsman. I have very severe diabetes, you know, and it's affecting his, feed and, and all kinds of things. And, and he's having a lot of trouble. And he said, I hadn't done anything outdoors for 10 years, but I've been following your story for a year. And I see that no matter how sick you are, you always still go. And so he said, I actually went out uh, rabbit hunting today. And he said, I didn't get a rabbit. I just went out and walked around. I put on my camo and I went out and I walked around and I had my gun and I enjoyed the outdoors. And he said, I never would have done that if I hadn't been inspired by you doing it. And he said, I just wanted to thank you. And he said, it, in the end, it didn't even matter that I didn't get a rabbit because I just remembered what I loved about being outdoors. And so I just would say, you know, baby steps, just just doing something small and then seeing, you know, seeing how that makes you feel and, and remembering that connection to nature and those things. I think that's important. You don't have to plan some you know gigantic hunt or something just just little steps and then um and then let that move you forward wow that's an incredible story after 2016 of being diagnosed from then since to the now and and to the listeners every and myself a lot of those hunts the ostrich the the bear bears i'm sure uh, all that kind of seems blended in has it been just a you've been going going nuts with your husband just hunting and hunting and hunting (laughs) or or, uh uh, would you say you got a majority of those 26 animals with your bow after that and just using that as another motive also that we're going to go have some life experiences and and enjoy life or i'd I'd say it was about half and half i did probably about half of them before i was diagnosed and then half after i will say most recently I haven't taken much. Um, the pandemic was hard for me. Um, I, I'm obviously, as you can imagine, very vulnerable to just in general, not even COVID. Oh, like, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm highly susceptible. The flu can just knock me over, like like you can't believe. Like not yeah. in the way that a normal person gets the flu. Like I get severe pneumonia. It's very serious. So I did have to be really careful um during the pandemic so we didn't you know no traveling and so that's been hard and then more recently the disease has gotten really aggressive on my liver um, and my esophagus and so in the last two years I have been through some really horrible battles I I wasn't even able to speak for three full months so October November 
December a year ago, I couldn't even speak one word. The disease was damaging my vocal cords really bad. And, um, and it was awful. And, um, Anyway, so, you know, I went through that and, and some really severe um, liver stuff recently that I'm starting to come out of now, um, just just in the last couple months. And so that really, it hampered my ability to get out and hunt um, as much as I want to. I had to cancel multiple trips. I had a um, my one of my bucket list items that was on our bucket list was um, I wanted to get a red stag in New Zealand with my bow. And um, that's been always right at the top of my list. And I had a, a hunt planned with a group of ladies and that got canceled because of COVID. And then I also often still will organize women's group hunts. So um, I've done that several times. Actually, when I went to Africa, both times I, I took groups of women with me. I've taken women on group turkey hunts, taking them on black bear hunts. So I usually will like coach them, sit with them if they need it and help um, new archers um, or new bow hunters, you know, do their hunts. And and I've always really enjoyed that. And I had a group hunt planned for a black bear hunt in Canada. And then because of COVID, obviously that also got mm-hmm. shut down. So yeah. I kind of, um, my hunting has been cut down unfortunately because of all that i we have been doing mule deer hunting here um in arizona um all spot and stock which is a real challenge like i said i had never hunted deer before so that's been a learning curve (laughs) because when i we got here and we were trying to hunt them like moose and you know what you don't hunt them like moose and so (laughs) we kind (laughs) of they can see better (laughs) (laughs) so we that because i did a spot and stock on my moose with my bows i'm like yeah okay it's not the same for deer so you know we're learning and um i've gotten close i've gotten at full draw at 40 yards a couple times on some nice bucks and haven't had a perfect shot presentation or decided a shot was unethical and didn't take the shot which some people think i'm crazy but i'm really ocd about i will not take i would rather not take a shot than take an iffy shot i'm just i will not injure an animal i have never not found an animal that I have shot with my bow and I'm not going to start. I'm just, I'm super conservative. And so, so I have passed on a few really nice mule deer um, that, that I just didn't have a great shot. One, it would have had to have been a neck shot and I just was not willing to do that. And another one um, just, it just wasn't a good angle. And so, um, so, but that's been super fun, you know, chasing uh, mule deer around and, um, and eventually, hopefully, I'll get one <laughs> yeah. doing spot and stock. Um, yep. And uh, and I drew a um, cow elk tag this year. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, with all of my health stuff that's going on right now, um, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a real, real, real challenge for me, big yeah. time. Um, but um, but I'm still excited about it and gonna go for it the best I can. So. Um, but so, yeah, so to answer your question about half of those were taken before the disease, about half after, but recently I really slowed down, um, a little bit and I'm hoping now that we're out of the pandemic and all that, and, um, hopefully I will get back after it. (laughs) Yeah. And as numbers on that are not important, it's just kind of curious to hear, um, just using, seeing that as a, some, someone may have zero after they get that zero animals and slide into a a dark state of mind there. But the fact that you have, 
that really shows you you've you've found a way to to have some strength and overcome so that's very very inspiring makes me uh makes me want to go for a run and drink more water (laughs) uh man that's gonna kill me i know it i gotta drink more water and i try i I tell my wife it's like i'm just like a horse i go or a camel i go to water once a day and i just drink a lot of it (laughs) but it's not enough so yeah but i i want to thank you for coming on you have a, a very inspiring story and i am so glad i got connected with you there to see that and I get to follow follow some more along with reading your stories on Instagram and, and wherever you publish them. And so if you w- would real quick, uh, just give yourself a little shout out as to where people can uh, get more inspiration and read some uh, some of your work. Yeah, um, sure. Thank you. Um, so on Instagram, my um, handle is rbgrrrl. Um, and that stood for rock starlet bow hunting girl, like girl, like a growl. Anyways, sure. I have a, I have a, um, an active wear, um, clothing brand, which is called rock starlet outdoors, where I design everything myself and manufacture the clothing. And, um, that was once I sold the archery store, that was something that I could continue to do from home with my disease, no matter how sick, sick I am, I can still get myself to the computer and design and I'm. I'm pretty artistic. And so they're, um, they're all outdoor inspired adventure wear, you know, clothing designs. So, um, it's called rockster let outdoors. So I also have that on Instagram, um, and, and on Facebook, um, you know, same thing. And on Facebook, I'm Johnny Marie J O and I, so, um, and then I'm on all the other, you know, fun ones. Like I, I'm on the truth social. I just joined that, which is a pretty cool platform. Actually. Oh. I like it. And, um, TikTok and all those fun things too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to your day. And again, thanks so much for, for, uh, for spending an hour with me and chatting and, and we'll, I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks yeah. so much. <laughs> so, and, and I can tell there's some more hunting stories and, and if you don't mind, I'm going to add you to my, my, my list of people I'd love to hear more stories from. So you're, you're a good storyteller. <laughs> I appreciate I think I got that from my dad and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all right. Well we'll let you go and, and uh have a good Memorial Day weekend. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right, we'll see ya. Gotta to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.